that's the black experience. You're right. always wondering like who's who's looking at me, you know, if I'm walking around in a store, are they thinking I'm taking something, you know, um, when you see people kind of clutch, you know, themselves a little tighter, you see all the people being reported for doing like absolutely normal things. You know, you're always being watched. This, this gaze is exhausting. It's a lot of work and I'm just tired of that burden. This is Caesar Walker, the cool, calm, collected one. And I'm Ronnie Gatry, the emotional one. And we are the Tipping Point Podcast, your source for sophisticated ignorance, intellectual stupidity, and well-articulated nonsense. Walker! We've been a cool! I think this is the tipping point. Peace and blessings, beloveds. We want to thank you guys. Actually, we want to shout out two groups of people. We want to thank thank our uh, usual, regular listeners, those who have been with us for such a long time. Thank you for your continued support of the podcast. But we want to acknowledge any first-time listeners. And if you are a first-time listener and you are enjoying the podcast, uh, please subscribe. Please follow us on whatever streaming platform you're using. Uh, Please give us a five-star review. Show us a lot, a lot of love. Uh, Also, you can follow us on our social media. All that information, as well as our YouTube page, is on our website. Gatry, the website is? TheTippingPoint.com. That's T-H-A, TippingPoint.com. Thank you, sir. And with that, shall we begin episode 81? 81, man. I can't believe we've done this this many times and we're still civil to a degree, at least. Uh, <laughs> That's relative, though. That's true. <laughs> uh, I want I want to echo my esteemed co-host Walker sentiments on um, the opening and uh, just express my uh, gratitude and thanks for everyone who tuned in for the first time last week. And those of you who thought enough to listen again today. Um, last last week's episode was great. Uh, I believe we've got another epi- a great another great episode today. Um, if you're looking at this on YouTube, which I hope you are, because that means I've done all my video editing, which I've been super behind on, um, you can see a young lady joining us today, and you're probably wondering who is that. Well, let me give you a brief intro, if I could. Um, personally, I've known this woman for uh, many years. <laughs> her uh, her husband and I used to work together, and um, we we uh, are. Our families have gotten together on several occasions. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, compelling discussions over the years, uh, some really good conversations back in the day. Um, that this, this woman has a deep-rooted uh, academic history in African-American literature. And uh, I can personally say has schooled me on um, a lot of nuances in uh, that that comes with the African-American experience, a lot of which I was um, unaware of just uh, over the years. So um, she uh, recently earned her Ph.D. in May. Yeah, let me introduce to you the Dr. Sandra Washington. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome, welcome. And congratulations, by the way. Thank you so much. Thank y'all for having me. Of course. 
Walker, I so, love doing so, intros, so, dude. <laughs> that's your thing, I know. Um, first for for the listeners, like how, how have your family? How's your family been? How have you been? How have y'all been dealing with COVID? Uh, just kind of talk about what's been going on with y'all. My family's well, thankfully. Everybody in my family's well. The people back in Louisiana, I'm from I'm a Louisiana girl. They're all well, thankfully. Um, it's just been kind of strange, you know. I'm sure for everybody being at home so much, and um, it's kind of like everybody's dreams to be home has become. A, a little bit of a nightmare, but um, <laughs> we're all, we're all doing well. Good, good, good. So you got your PhD in African American literature, right? So what's what's the next what's the next step for you? Well, I have secured a position as assistant professor of American literature at the Harriet Wilkes Honors yes. College of Florida Atlantic University. Nice. So I will be beginning uh, to teach courses there in the fall and working on my monograph the first book i hope good deal nice. good deal nice thanks give us quick like what what's what's uh your your monograph like what what are you trying to tackle with with that well um for my dissertation i wrote about black girlhood in african american literature because from what I was able to ascertain, like uh, black girls typically are overlooked quite a lot. I think when people are talking about the struggle, they're talking about people in general, and oftentimes children, you know, in in the black coat in the black experience are uh, uh, told oftentimes to not participate in adult things, like you know, you know, this is grown folks conversations, and so I think that kind of trickles down into our respect and understanding of literature so we see black girl characters sometimes and overlook them or worse sometimes we see them and we think that they're more adult-like and there's a lot of research going around right now on the adultification of black girls so lots of times people see black girls as older and so they don't see them as needing assistance or as innocent they treat them as adults rather than as children and so that causes a certain kind of trauma in black girls and so i was researching that in literature and how that how different people kind of tackle that issue did your did your blog kind of lead you down this path i noticed that you have a a blog uh care to share about that yes so i started the black girlhood project as a way to connect people who are studying black girlhood. Black girlhood studies is a newish area subspecialty in both African-American studies and African-American literature. And so oftentimes uh, people are working on things and we don't know who's working on what because it's not as formalized as some of the more traditional areas of study. And so I would go to conferences or um, be at different events and then I would give a paper on a topic and then someone say, oh, I'm working on black girls too. And then I was trying to create a a community so that we can share resources and talk about the different issues that we see happening in literature as it relates to black girls. So um, it was welcomed and so many people have uh, linked to it. And um, many people are saying now that they're going to write blogs for it. So we're trying to create a community in in African-American literature um, to to promote the study of girls. What drove this, what, what began to drive this passion for you along this line? I, I believe you're a, a mother of a, of a daughter. Of a black girl, yes. When, when my daughter was young, I had the most trouble trying to find books that reflected her experience. And so I remember she came home from school one day and she said, I wish I had yellow hair. And so on the one <laughs> hand, 
you know, <laughs> Me too. on the one hand, it was like, okay, kids like to, you know, she could want to be a firefighter or police right. officer or secretary or whatever the case may have been, the president, you know? Um, right. And so... I, it hurt me a little bit that she wanted something that she could never have. Like, you know, naturally she's, be- I thought she was beautiful in her own right and she didn't need yellow hair to be cute. And I know that she was associating that with white whiteness and thinking that that was better than what she had. And so I went on a mission trying to find books that would help her to kind of appreciate her experience and who God created her to be. And so it was really hard to find those things. And so I think somewhere in my mind, those things kind of remain there. And as I started reading things or rereading texts that I'd read in the past, I really focused in on um, the black girls because I was thinking back to her experience and how, um, even you know even black authors in a lot of ways weren't writing about black girls they would often write about black boys you know um president obama when he was talking about you know am i my brother's keeper who's keeping the black girls Mm. you know so um there was kind of a disconnect i think um for people and and i think it, it is that adultification that black girls are little black women and so black women are supposed to be really strong and not need assistance and so that kind of gets transferred onto them as well so I kind of gotcha. went along that path and I've just gone as it's taking me. It's definitely, definitely a space for that. And and I applaud you for seeing that need and, and attempting to fill it and discovering a whole community out there that needed it as well. So yeah. shouts out to you for that. Gatra, you want to transition us into sure. the... I'll sure. tell you. Yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> I was letting you deliver that. Uh, so, so Sandra... Uh, in in regard of recent uh, recent times of uh, civil unrest and um, a lot of a lot of questions about uh, racial equality and things like that, um, I was forwarded a uh, a copy of your Facebook post that you made. I think it was maybe two weeks ago now. Um, and uh, as I shared with you beforehand, and I'd like to share with the listeners, it um, it, it caused me to uh, it, it made me feel a certain type of way. Honestly, I read through half of it, then I sent it to Walker. And um, I just knew I had to have you on because I wanted to hear about some of the thoughts, some of the emotions that drove you to that post um, and to, to I, I feel like brilliantly capture and deliver a lot of the thoughts that I had been having, seeing a lot of a lot of these things as well. Could you elaborate on that for us, please? Sure. Um, so just as I had to pull it up myself to kind of it. I feel like um, in recent events with the deaths of um, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and um, Ahmaud Arbery and now uh, Rashad, I think I'm not sure how to yeah. pronounce his name yet. Yeah. Um, I've just been kind of experiencing a, a different kind of feeling than I've normally had. I think there's been so many cases, there have been so many cases of Um, black men and women and kids being killed unnecessarily and um, unfortunately that it just was taking a toll on me and so I was dealing while I was dealing with that I was also dealing with um, the space that I kind of feel and the people who I know and how I'm usually kind of tempering myself um, to protect the feelings of other people rather than 
kind of really giving myself the space to kind of deal with the trauma that I'm experiencing as a black person in America, seeing all this happen, wondering about my daughter, you know, myself, um, going into new spaces where people don't know me. And um, so I think all that was coming to a head. And so um, I found myself very kind of down, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily despair, but definitely down, um, not just about, you know, the deaths themselves, but about how I've responded in those cases, in that, that, in that attempt to protect other people's feelings. And then I was noticing that the people whose feelings I was trying to protect, they weren't concerned about my feelings, you know? And so I felt like it's always the turn of the cheek kind of situation. But at the same time, I felt like in no other area of my life do I remain tied to people who cause me harm, you know? And so why am I concerned about these people who are causing me harm with, with no regard as to how it affects me? And I think I saw a post that somebody um, stated, whereas they had not commented on the death of George Floyd, which was horrendous. And quite frankly, I still have not been able to bring myself to watch the video because you got to kind of know what level of trauma you can you can take and, and be OK with self-care. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, someone had not said anything about any of these deaths. And then it was kind of like one of these posts. It's like, yeah, OK, so he's he died and that's terrible. But however, look at these stores and look at what these people are doing. And they're talking about the response to the injustice rather than the injustice itself. And I thought, you know, we got one part, George Floyd, in three or four or five parts, capitalism and like maintenance of the systemic oppression in America. So right. um, I just had enough of it. And, and I found myself on social media posting things that would kind of educate those people, bring them along, you know. And at one point, I kind of considered myself kind of a missionary <laughs> to white mm -hmm. people because I was like the friend, you know, that they had. And I felt like if they knew me, then surely they could understand that I'm. it's not just me. I'm not the only one who is productive in society, who's not, you know, uh, a criminal or right. doing all these terrible things. Um, and it just wasn't getting through. And so I thought, I'm done with trying to educate people who are intellectual in every other aspect of their lives. And if they don't know now, after having known me for some people, you know, decades, having known me, you know, and still having these feelings, then I'm no longer talking to those people. Mm. But I'm not unfriending them, you know, because like we say, I'm done with you. I'm unfriending you. I'm not unfriending them. I'm just doing what I'm doing. I'm taking the mask off and I am going to be who I am. And if they don't like it, then they can distance themselves from me. But this is my space and I'm claiming it. Was that really eating away at you? The fact that there's a big part of you that your peers just don't know. Like yeah. I, I've suppressed a part of the realness of me and how I feel and you know was it and I, I think we all have felt this way like do you feel as though you only know 50 percent of me or 40 percent of me and if i really give you the other 60 percent in this moment you wouldn't even be able to digest me i won't right. be palatable enough for you to comprehend or associate yourself with my blackness absolutely i mean paul lawrence dunbar 
you know, back in the 19th century wrote about, we wear the mask that grins and lies, you know, and it hides our face and eyes. And I feel like that is what I had been doing inadvertently in a way. Right. Like I didn't mean to wear the mask, but I think that I kind of understood how things work. And I pushed against the system, but not, not as much as I do in my relationships that are completely fluid and open where I can just be myself. And I was just, it, it's exhausting. That's a heavy yeah. burden to bear, to always be concerned about like what somebody's thinking. And you know, that's the black experience. You're right. always wondering like, who's who's looking at me? You know, if I'm walking around in a store, are they thinking I'm taking something? You know, um, when you see people kind of clutch, the, you know, the, themselves a little tighter, you see all the people being reported for doing like absolutely normal things. You know, you're always being watched. This, this gaze is exhausting. It's a lot of work and I'm right. just, tired of that burden right and you, you know sandra hearing hearing you say that 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 delivers i guess the the emotional bond i had to it because the, you just gave a, a a great example of what i what i do with every day you know um one one of the i i, I had a I had a conversation with a um with, with a white male last week and it, it's so crazy it was it was somewhat therapeutic but um it helped me to realize just how norm uh, how normal i've made the mask as we say it is here you know and it's and i don't want people to think like i'm i'm a totally different person because i don't think i'm totally different but there's a lot of things that i know i have to equip myself with when i leave this house in order to ensure your level of comfort based on uh these norms that society and some of the media have placed on men that look like me you know i yeah. I, I get it i, I know i'm a, i'm a huge massive figure like i get that <laughs> but but you know it's not a crime it's not a crime yeah and, 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 and the thing the thing the biggest thing with me is like for the people that know me, they know what my family means to me. They know what coming home to my family each day means to me. You know, like I'm not out here just to like say I'm big and I'm bad and I'm here to do damage upon everyone. You know, like, no, I want to be friends with you. But more importantly, I want to make it back home to my wife and kids, you know. Um, so. So, yeah. So so that seriously, like I got goosebumps because it, it just it just solidified so much of what I felt when I read that. So thank thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Have you had any, I guess, I mean, what, so let's talk about some of the positive experiences, uh, if there have been any. Have there been any positive experiences? Because I know sometimes, you know, for every one person who gets it, there's like four or five that you'd be like, you know, I really wish you didn't see my post or I really wish you didn't. You know what I mean? So yeah. are there are there some who's like, you know what, I've never really thought about it that way? Um, or people who've been openly receptive to you trying to educate white people on on the injustices that black people have to deal with? Sure. I was actually surprised. I had a friend um, who, who's known me for quite some time, and she, um, she actually asked me um, about, like she said that white pastors had these questions they didn't know what to do with, you know, with all of this. And they were asking questions as far as what could they do and did I have any kind of information that I could offer them? And so on the one hand, I want to go, yeah, as a matter of fact, let me tell you, you know, that's that part of me, I guess the educator in me who's like, okay, yes, let me, let me try to build this bridge again. You know, I've been building bridges and they've been just disregarded or burned down or, you know, and so I, I was just sick of the bridges. And so I told her, absolutely not. Um, I feel like 
you know, pastors go to the ends of the internet to look up what one word means in the Bible, you know, so that they can have some new take on a word or a sermon that they've delivered, you know, and those people are intelligent enough to use the phone that is in their hands most of the day and locate information because so many people have printed so many things that we have um, articles and videos and endless amounts of documentaries and personal um, narratives that they could read to understand and then do something about it. And so I didn't want to offer any more information on that. And I told her that in quite a long uh, email response, yeah. actually, <laughs> I started typing and it just went crazy. But um, I think she saw that there was a break there somewhere, you know, that things had changed, you know? And so um, she, I think she saw me in pain, you know, because I lifted that veil and I was like, it hurts. For people to continue, you know, continuously disregard your mental health and your well-being and your experience, you know, when people continuously tell you that it's not important, that takes a toll on you. And I think she saw that. And so she called me and she was checking on me and she was like, look, I know that everybody's been busy. Things have been crazy, but I just want to check on you and make sure you're OK. And then she was saying, you know, I'm so sorry. I did not get it at first, you know. And I want to do better and I'm trying to do better, you know, help me do better. And so that was really like, it touched my heart, you know, because that's all I want is for somebody to see us. And why is it so hard to it's, get like, it's, I was telling, it's not that deep. It is so it is not, not that deep. It's the easiest thing in the world. Just care. care why do you stumble over that? <laughs> we don't need you to fix racism. We just need you to understand. And understanding will lead you to the next steps. Right. You know, like just like right. with everything else, if I care about animals not being mistreated, I learn more about situations in which they are mistreated. And then I go out and do something to keep them from being mistreated. Mm, People right. foster animals all the time. They do all kinds of things all the time to fix things that they see that are wrong. But in this case, it's like, I don't know what to do. You know, that kind of perspective <laughs> is just so annoying i guess it's like a willful willful ignorance is what i call it it's like i'm choosing to remain aloof even though i can do something about it It i just absolutely a choice yeah yeah do you think it's it's i don't know you know do you think the it's almost like if i'm ignorant to something i don't really have to take full responsibility for my part in solving it. Absolutely. Do you think that's a part of it for some people? Like I know if once I find out, it's almost kind of like um, me with food, right? <laughs> I have a favorite snack and I refuse to look at the nutrition facts on the back of the package because the moment I look at the nutrition facts, you know. I will never look at that snack the same way again, right? Although you it's might almost like, I know I got to do something with, with, with this sugar content <laughs> and in the calories or whatever. I can't, I can't act like I used to before knowing. Do you think there's a fear there that once I fully understand, I can't go back to my way of living anymore? I think so. I think nobody wants to be uncomfortable, really. Like right. we all want to be as comfortable as we can be. And then there's, but there's no growth in that. There's no sustainability in that. You can't always be comfortable. You know, we always have to be uncomfortable, you know, at some point to move, to do something different. Right. And so I think part of it is kind of a guilt 
you know, and, and I think it's a misplaced guilt actually, because if you don't know, if you really don't know something is happening and you're participating in that process and, and you find out that you did something that was wrong or that you might've done something wrong, that is an uncomfortable place to be, but then you can feel. Yeah. But if you don't find out, then it's kind of like, you know, plausible deniability, you know, or you can kind of just keep living in that way without addressing the problem itself. You know, I, I think right. it's more of that than it is like hatred. There is some right. hatred, you know, right. absolutely. But there's more, I think, guilt, you know, from having to deal with it than just, I, I don't, that's my opinion anyway. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, to, to ask, to, to kind of pivot um, from that, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, there are a lot of cases where we've had a lot of men who have been murdered and mistreated by police officers. But in recent years, in the, you know, the past few months, we've seen the uh, Tatiana Jefferson's, Breonna Taylor's. Uh, there's actually... Um, I don't know if y'all recall, but a few years back in Texas, uh, the Jerry Beckton, I think is her name. Oh, yeah. A 15 year old got slammed down by an officer oh, yeah. at a pool party. Yes. Um, so as, as as a mother of a, of a black girl has, you know, we often talk about we have to talk to our sons about about how they should interact with the police. Has those has incidents like those, the Sandra Bland's, those have that raised your your alert level and sense of urgency as it pertains to your daughter? Absolutely. I think having a daughter, there's so many different warnings that you have to give um, from all areas. You know, like um, I kind of remember in uh, The Color Purple where uh, uh, Janie's grandmother, like I'm mixing books, there I was watching God. Janie's grandmother said, you know, the black woman is the mule of the earth. You know, and then so I think she was talking about like the hard work, right? So the, she's fighting against, you know, the patriarchy and, you know, um, white male privilege and white women who are mistreating them in certain situations. And then, but also black men, you know, yeah, can mistreat uh, black women as well. And it's not to say that, um, that that happens in all cases, you know, I think that's sure. where people get hung up on the information. Um, but then when you factor in age, there's a further there's kind of another tier, another level down actually, um, where you have to kind of warn girls because they have even less agency than a woman might. And so absolutely I'm I'm telling her about, you know, issues that she might face with men, with the police, you know, just, you know, if somebody's trying to pull you over, put your hazards on, drive to a, a bright area, a well-lit area, which, you know, we know now that none of that stuff really matters because you can have somebody live and you know on clear videotape and and things still won't happen to to bring justice to the situation but absolutely it terrifies me yeah yeah oh yeah and um sandra to, to that staying in that lane um I, I i had a i had a very moving conversation with a um with a black female friend of mine recently and she she and i'll i'll <laughs> i'll make this brief but in essence, her, I guess her feeling she expressed to me was uh, a sense of black feminism being lost in this current movement. And she challenged me, you know, because I mean, it, it is we, we do we do respect and we do honor, you know, not not respect and honor, but we, we acknowledge the impact that George Floyd's execution had on 
us as black black people but uh, walker and i being black men but um she didn't want to take anything away from that but she was concerned that you know the the memory of the brianna taylors and the tatiana jeffersons were getting lost in in all that was george floyd uh, so, so her, I guess, I guess one of the points of emphasis she made was, in terms of in terms of black feminism, there's still a space for us as well to keep the memory alive of those black women who were were ta- who were whose lives were lost uh, due to uh, over aggressive policing tactics. In your opinion, a- as a black female, do you do you agree with those sentiments? And if so. What is we? What what can we as black men do to to really prop up or give more or present more awareness to the essence uh, that that does encapsulate the Breonna Taylors and the uh, Tatiana Jeffersons as well? That was really loaded, but you you see where I'm going there? Yeah, okay. I think I think I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that my, first of all, full disclosure, my relationship to feminism is a very complicated one. Um, because that space was typically not, even though black women participated in the rise of feminism, it really um, was not a space that was really devoted to our well-being in a lot of ways. Um, it was very much a white woman's space. And so then you had people who talk about, you know, black feminism and womanism is something that Alice Walker um, I think Alice Walker started that, but it, that kind of idea that we are, um, it, we are also here, you know, like we are also women who have very specific needs and it's not, not, not an Olympics of suffering to where who suffered the most necessarily, but, um, there is another layer to, uh, the black woman's experience being both black and woman. Um, so as far as that goes, I've not heard of people saying anything about, um, black women, uh, being somehow less feminist if they support or really participate in justice for inequality for people like George Floyd. Um, but I, I was, I will say that just the opposite kind of seems to exist where people encourage black women to be these ride or die chicks for guys in, in situations where that are toxic for them. So I think black women have always been encouraged to, to be the backbone for some black man you know, I think there was a preacher recently who was talking about his wife was his backbone and she had to really kind of, I don't know if y'all remember, I can't remember this guy's name, but he was saying that she was um, his backbone and she really kind of nurtured him and helped him grow. And it was kind of like a mother situation. John Gray. John uh, Gray. That's yeah. him. And I thought that's a completely inappropriate and imbalanced kind of perspective to have and expectation to have. Right. for her but hey that's their marriage and if that works for them you know but I feel like that is what I've seen more of than people questioning black women's alliance to other black women um, in supporting black men um, so but I will say that I do believe that there is some sexism involved in why we kind of gravitate towards the George Floyds rather than the Breonna Taylors I think one element is you could actually see him being killed mm. on film, whereas we're just told about her experience, right? Um, so there's that. So I think people see things and it kind of registers with them in a different way, obviously. But I will say that it is interesting and uh, that people kind of don't become 
as outraged over the Breonna Taylors and the Sandra Blands and the Tatiana Jeffersons. You know, you can see a police officer take a, a drag a black girl across a high school floor in front of all of her peers and not storm the building to help that girl get some justice. People automatically assume, well, she probably was mouthing off. And, you know, like they make all these assumptions about what she was doing rather than the fact that this person is there to protect her, not to harm her. And the very right. person who's supposed to protect her harmed her. Um, right. So I, I don't know why that is, but I think that um, black men can just be mindful of that, that there is a, another level of, of oppression just as a woman. And then when you add that to the racial oppression, it becomes a totally different animal. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and basically, you know, what I'm hearing is just, just looking after each, each other and looking after our, our, our women and letting them know, listen, <laughs> we see y'all like we, we see y'all and we feel away. Like, you know, I have a, I have a niece, I have a sister. Like I, you know, I think something, something Gatry and I have discussed in previous podcasts, like you, we can see the humanity because we can, we picture our, our siblings and our nieces or whoever being dragged across the floor. And then, you know what I mean? So it's, it's a part of us that knows if that was my loved one, I would move heaven and earth uh, to get justice in that situation. You know what right. I mean? And, and, I, and I think sometimes we don't do that like we should in a lot of cases. And I think also too, I think a lot of us have grown numb <laughs> To, to these incidents and a lot of it is we in a, in a in attempt to kind of preserve our own well-being we become a little insensitive to it and not treat it like we would treat a George Floyd and I think mm. even though we're trying to self-care we need to understand that this is just as much of a injustice as as the next issue that comes Absolutely. up and I yeah. think to, to further to lift a veil in a in, in this space, in this particular space, a little bit more. Um, I think too, that there may be guilt on the behalf of black men for not standing up for black women and black girls more. Oh. And not exactly in the same way as like, uh, you know, white oppression necessarily, but like in a similar type of diminishment. Um, I think, that is something that black men need to deal with, you know, yeah. about the the complexities of the relationships that they have with black women. And um, because I've heard of other, you know, academics even being in spaces where they're talking about this issue, men and women's, black men and women's relationships, and then having some man like in the audience just check her publicly, as in she has, she has no right to be talking about this. It's kind of like letting people into the family's business or, you know, saying something that she's shouldn't be saying. Um, so I've heard of, of situations like that. And I've actually seen a situation like that take place where a, a black man got up in a meeting and, you know, like an auditorium and kind of um, really inappropriately, I think, started addressing questions toward this uh, black woman speaker. And so it was just interesting to me that he would do that to her because I kept thinking, like, if she was a white woman, would you talk to her in that way? You know, like, would wow. you would you come at her that hard? Yeah. Publicly? Yeah. It's okay yeah. for us to disagree about ideas. That's what we do as academics. But there's a way to disagree with anybody that you don't have to 
to berate them or try to embarrass them publicly, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that there's some work that, that needs to occur in our relationships, even within the race to kind of, you know, fix and, you know, improve these situations. Gotcha. Sandra, you know, I, I, I really feel that, right? Because I, I, in hearing you answer that, I thought about some of your opening comments about, you know, the challenges of raising um, a young black woman. And um, selfishly, I will admit, you know, because I'm no no stranger to being transparent on this podcast, but um, I it, it keeps me up at night thinking and thinking about my boy sleeping upstairs and, you know, what I can do, A, to be a positive influence and positive role model to them, but what what kind of lessons I have to teach them as they mature. But mm-hmm. but honestly, Sandra, and, and I'm not taking anything away from that, but you helped me to realize that with a black, with a young black female, there's even another layer on top of that, you know? And and I feel like to going back to the question you just answered, um, me me as a as a black male uh, husband and father, me being more aware of that. I've got a unique opportunity to, as I'm as I'm shaping these these boys to become men, to weave in the nuances of you know preserving and it and it, 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 it I, let me say this it transcends who they decide they're going to marry if they if they marry somebody <laughs> black whatever it doesn't matter but in terms of like weaving in those important lessons about you know what not only the woman but the black woman deserves in terms of respect honor and things like that mm-hmm. like i don't know that that that's something i never had to think about or no, something i chose not to think about before you said that but there's a lot of value in that and it makes me empathetic to 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 your struggle in raising your young black daughter because again there's that other layer that i never thought about so yeah. um, definitely appreciate you sharing that. Thank Sorry, you. I just had to dump that out. No, <laughs> no, I think it's like in, in the struggle, we're saying, you know, you know, black lives matter, black women's lives matter, and every woman should be treated with respect, right? But that's kind of like an all women's matter, all women matter versus, you know, black women matter kind of thing. Like, of course, all women should be treated with respect, but particularly you have to be mindful of the fact that you know, traditionally black women have not been treated with respect. And so there is some kind of, I guess, collective trauma in that process where I'm trying to teach my daughter how to to navigate this world in a way where she's not combative, but also where she's not, you know, so pliable that she's, you know, susceptible to whatever kind of whims people have about who she is or right. what she has to, you know, go through. I just, it's kind of, a, it's a tricky situation. You don't want to, teach your kid to grow up and think the worst, but then you have to tell her to kind of sometimes expect the worst. There are things that can happen and it's, and it's a touchy kind of situation to be in. And I, and I don't know that I've done this well necessarily. I always say like parenting is an experiment and we'll see how it turns out later. You could say that again. (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, we'll see. I've tried to do my best, you know, but it would be nice to know that there was a collective effort in her well, in taking care of her and her well-being, um, so I, I don't know what that looks like. You know, it's hard to kind of imagine, but it's something I hope to see. Definitely, definitely, and I think as as men, Gatry and I, just understanding the black woman's plight because, in many ways, as you articulated so well, y'all catch it from both ends. 
um, from within your community and out outside of your community. And I think as black men, we have to, again, it goes back to what I mentioned previously, having privilege. And as men that we have an experience, even within our own communities, that's unique to a black woman's. And if we can appreciate that, that will help us to kind of assume responsibility as well as hold each other accountable uh, for how we treat uh, black women within our community. I'm a stern believer that even though we'll have allies, uh, we'll have people who will lock arms with us. We have to act and move as though we all we got at the end of the day and act like it. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Did you have anything else? Did you any other questions? Because uh, I think I think Sandra nailed it. I, I, I second that. I mean, she, she's got me in a state of introspect over here. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sandra, do you would you like to provide uh, any contact information for people to reach out? You know, you're going to be this new uh, this new fly dope professor down at FAU killing it. So, you know, any, any way people can reach out to you and. And then keep up with you. You know, you want to pull, you know, uh, uh, plug your blog. You know, just go ahead and just. This is your time. Thank you. Okay. Well, first, not, nah, but now nah, I would <laughs> love it if uh, people would participate in the Black Girlhood Project. Um, link to it. Um, to let you know, there's all kinds of ways. Once you are on that site, to connect, and if they could visit the site at BlackGirlhoodProject.com. Um, that would be great to grow that community. Also, if they'd like to contact me, um, my email address, I can give, should I give that now? It's, you can. You know, yeah. 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 S Washington at FAU.edu. Um, so they can reach me there and we could continue this dialogue. I, I, I would like to say though, that I am one woman, not every woman. Ooh. My opinions are my own. And I'm sure that there are tons of women out there who completely disagree with so many different things that I have said, and I respect them and respect their opinions. Um, those, those are my opinions though. And, and, and what I've kind of come to understand and appreciate. So I don't want people, I think that people have this idea of like, not necessarily tokenism, but there's this idea that some one black person said something and so that must be truth, right? So some one black woman says something and that must be truth. That's my truth, right? Um, so I, I just wanted to say that I don't expect people to to, to um, feel like that is everybody's opinion. But yeah, I would love to connect with people. So if, if they want to reach out, please do. Okay. We'll make sure to send uh, all of uh, our white friends who have questions about black people to you. I'm pretty sure oh, yeah. you will. I'm ready. <laughs> Not doing it. I have nothing for them. The internet's got them taken care of. Hilarious. <laughs> nope. Well, Sandra, thank you so thank much you, for your Sandra. time. Thank you for being our latest friend of the show. And uh, good luck with everything. You're killing it out here. And uh, we, we're excited to see where, where you go next. Thank y'all so much. And I love this uh, opportunity. I appreciate it so much. And I'm so thankful that y'all are interested in having a woman's perspective. Um, Oh, no doubt. Building those bridges. No doubt. No doubt. Well, guys, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, Shouts out again to Sandra Washington for uh, stopping by and blessing us with her presence. Uh, Wonderful insight. Uh, New friend of the show, right, Gat? Yes. You know we love new friends, unlike what Drake says. But yeah, we we, we welcome (laughs) them. (laughs) That was just a song. That was just a song. We didn't take that serious. It's all entertainment. (laughs) Um, Discuss your trash. Uh, We can go ahead and 
Go ahead and just kick us off. Okay, well, um, and I, I forgot to do this last week. And I know we've got uh, new listeners, so discuss or trash. Simply put, um, we we have stylized. Hey, you ain't got to explain that. Okay, they they'll get it. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, Walker, we're gonna start off with Rayshard Brooks, ATL. Discuss or trash. Discuss. Let's get to it, man. I I want to start with the heavy stuff first. Um, for those of you who may not have heard yet, Rayshard Brooks, uh, another young uh, black man who was uh, shot and killed by police uh, Friday night in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, according to reports, um, Rayshard uh, had, had gotten someone had called the police on him for uh, sleeping, falling asleep in his car while in the drive through at a Wendy's. Um, seems criminal to me. Uh, so. So uh, the police get there and um, there, there, there is a scuffle. I'm not gonna shy away from that. Um, there is a shuffle, that scuffle in the video I've seen. Um, you, you can see uh, Rayshard uh, reach for the taser of the law enforcement official. Um, again, I'm not, I, don't, I don't condone that. I'm not an advocate of that. Um, but uh, during their scuffle, um, Rayshard then gets, gets free and then flees. And then upon which um, was shot in the back uh, by a police officer, uh, Walker. We're we're in the age now where people are questioning police training, um, police sensitivity to a degree, and uh, most notably police brutality. Uh, Walker, I'm gonna be honest. I didn't like what I saw on behalf of either party, but um, in watching the video twice, Walker, I could not see any action done that warrants uh, the taking of this man's life by those who are sworn in to serve and protect. Uh, th those are my comments, Walker. What do you think? Um, I agree. I agree. Um, after that, I think the police chief resigned. Yes. And the officer who actually shot Brooks in the back uh, has been fired. Correct. Um, so I think we all can agree that this was... This, you know, as messed up as a situation this was, um, Rayshard should be alive today to defend himself in a court of law. And, and you know, and, and my thing is we're not, I don't know what all was involved. I don't know. I know very high level about, about the situation. Um, I don't know. I'm not, we're not here to say that Rayshard was innocent. Right. By exactly. any means, but exactly. Rayshard should be, he should be alive today to prove his innocence if he feels he was. Right. Um, he should not be dead. That, right. that, that, there was no, even in, a, even in a scuffle, we've seen a lot of scuffles with people who are not black and the person is alive to tell us that side of the story. And well, Rayshard should be as well. Walker had someone just tell me just on Friday about how they, they witnessed um, a, a white man literally ball up his fist and throw it at a police officer several times and um he's still alive today um I, I i don't get it i don't get it me either bro me either bro we'll 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 again it's it's like i'm, I'm becoming less and less um as engaged in these stories not because i don't care not because I'm not concerned. It's just how much more of this can my little heart take. Mm. Um, so I'll continue to follow this from a high level. But yeah, dude, it's, it's just like at some point, at some point, like I, 
I mean, you know, we know this stuff is not going to end anytime soon, but can we get a break, please? Right, right. And I just need you, a break. You would just think, you know, like in, in these in these heightened times right now, you would think law enforcement officials would at least, you know, give the give the impression of, you know, corrective, corrective actions and in, in situations like this. But yeah, it just goes to show uh, we have a long way to go. A long way to Unfortunately. go. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, you're right. Uh, shall we move yes. on? Okay. What you got? A lot of the uh, the protests, uh, we began seeing signs of this, people talking about this, and it's become a topic of discussion. Um, that is the question of, or the expression, defund the police. Gatry, discuss or trash? Discuss. I got some thoughts about it. Okay, what are your thoughts? Well, um, the, again, um, I'm no expert on this. I can just share with you the thoughts I've had based on the um, two and a half conversations I've had with it. Uh, had about it excuse me um i I, th- I think i think the phrase defund the police uh draw some concern for a lot of people because they're thinking well what about my safety if you take funds away from this entity uh, am i going to be safe or is it just going to be everybody running rampant because we can't ha- we don't have enough money to uh fund uh a, a stable police force if you will but what I, it, it, if you're listening and you have a thought like that my challenge to you would be to to zero in on the on the militarization that the police um, have undergone over you know the past couple of years, so, and, and just just think about this frame of mind. So we, we we have a group of people gathering, and I'm saying this figuratively, even though some of these actions have manifested themselves in modern society. But you have a group of people who have worked and planned a um, a peaceful protest, right? And so they're gathering, they're mobilizing, and they're they they want their voices heard, correct? Um, but they're met with tanks, armored tanks. Um, police with riot gear on uh, police with shields uh, lo- looking as if they are prepared for combat right against peaceful protesters so we so so you know what what does that do to the frame of mind of the peaceful protester when you're looking across the street and you've got guys armed with rubber bullets and tear gas when you just want to peacefully have your have your uh have your voices heard and uh we're not going to talk about the disparity of the of the gentleman who uh who raided the capital in the state of michigan uh with with carrying heavy arms and you know there 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 seem to be no similar type of police retaliation or police presence in general to these guys more aggressive looking stance so and you know that wanting their rights for a haircut and a beach trip um so so i don't want you to think about your your safety being being fractured i want you to really think about and assess your local city's budget and see just how much of that the police uh occupy and then just ask yourself do we really need this and if we do what is that going to? And if you find out what it's going to, let's assess how much of, of that is going to continued education for our police department. Those are my right. thoughts, Walker. Um, the first point I'll make about defunding the police, defunding the police is not the same as dismantling the police. And I think that addresses the, the point people has about their safety. We're not dismantling police, number one. Number two, defunding the police in and of itself does not address what happened to George Floyd. It doesn't address those types of situations. What defunding the police is, is this. 
you can either treat the symptoms of a cold vi- uh, a cold virus or you can actually treat the cold virus right the controls we have in place are mostly reactionary in the term of law enforcement which you do need because crimes do occur but what we're what we're after is if we're really trying to mitigate crime then we need to put certain controls in place to help reduce crime in certain neighborhoods right and so oftentimes it's going to require some additional funds and whatnot to go at that so when we talk about defunding the police we're talking about taking some of the money that's budgeted for law enforcement and pouring it into areas that can help mitigate uh, crime in some of our neighborhoods as it pertains to education schools as it pertains to to businesses uh, to create more jobs for people to actually earn uh, a decent wage and and, and, and and earnings for their family um, when you start cr- funneling money into your community because you got to remember this is taxpayers money so if you're taking the money and putting it in places where it can actually grow the community you actually help reduce crime in those areas because you're actually dealing with some of the root causes of why crime even occurs in certain neighborhoods to begin with um third of all is that if we're going to if we're going to defund the police then there needs to be i would like to see uh, the police departments and I like to see oftentimes uh, police unions I would like to see them be audited uh, or more so police departments them be audited and we have to see accountability in terms of how they're managing the resources and accountability accountability in terms of how they're policing its citizens because you can't establish trust with us in law enforcement if you're not willing to be held accountable for how you manage the money and how you deal with cops who murder people right and so if the if if you're being audited and we see that you just got money to play with then no 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 let's take some of that money and pour it somewhere where it can actually benefit the people instead of giving you neat nice toys to play with right um so you know i i think that i think we should look in terms of dealing with the the murder of george floyd and and whatnot like we need to look at uh, two things that are, I think are very problematic is police unions and law enforcement officers bill of rights, which really offer a lot of protection for officers. And if officers know and understand that I have this union backing me, uh, I have a bill of rights that protects me in these moments, then there's really no account. Like I, I can actually be a little reckless uh, as a cop and just get my hand slapped. Right. You know, so I, I think if in, if we're really going to deal, I think defunding the police is a long-term play in terms of how it really addresses some systemic issues in our community. But I, I would love to see better accountability because I think that's an actual, it's a long-term, but it's actually, you'll see some results short-term. Because if I know I don't have the, the union uh, basically covering my tracks, if I'm out here murdering people, I'm probably going to tighten up in terms of how I police the people in the neighborhoods. So I think those are two things that we have to look at as in terms of defunding and establishing measures of accountability within law enforcement. Hmm. Very well put there, sir. <laughs> Back on you. Okay. Walker, um, were you able to catch Dave Chappelle's 846? production yes i did oh so i should i even ask discuss or trash 
You have to because this is a segment. Gotcha. We're going to discuss it. Okay, we're going to discuss it. Um, my comments are really brief, Walker. Dave Chappelle is the goat. Why is he the goat? Because, because you know what, what I what I saw in this and what I what I've seen in recent Dave Chappelle content. Dave Chappelle can address issues in society that are that are very piercing, especially to black people, but still be widely accepted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, you you know, I, I I looked and there were there were people of all races socially distant in this uh, during this production, and everyone was at ease. There were there were moments where he, where it was you know it was easy to laugh because Dave Chappelle's just funny, but then it's just like he's kind of he's kind of messing with your mind here. He's he's bringing you in with laughter, then he's hitting you with some facts. Then you sit back and you think. Then he'll ease it back in again with some laughter. Then he's gonna punch you in the face with some facts that are hard to digest. And I just don't know anybody that does that. I don't know anybody that has done that. And I could be caught right. in the emotion, but I was I was very moved and gripped by what I saw and heard on 846. And yeah. let's, let's not even we haven't even gotten to the to the meat of it where Dave Chappelle gives you a, a glimpse into his family lineage with ties to Woodrow Wilson. I mean, come on, dude. Like right. this stuff is this stuff is crazy. And then right. the thing, this man was called out because he he hadn't, you know, s- supposedly he hadn't been doing enough in terms of speaking out on these injustices. Man, if y'all don't get up off Chappelle. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm kind of glad somebody said something because if they didn't, maybe we don't have 846. But anyway, um, those are those are my comments, Walker. My ears are open. I didn't look at it as a comedy special at all. No, um, it was it was just it was a TED talk featuring Dave Chappelle really and truly because it's hard to joke about these things i think what what makes dave chappelle an exceptional talent is his storytelling ability and how he talked about how his experience on 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 the left coast and how the emotions he felt during uh an earthquake scared him through no no point and he was like that lasted 30 something seconds to imagine what George Floyd went through for eight minutes and for like the way he tied that in was masterful because he he pulled you into the emotions of how he felt during 30 seconds and then he brought the eight minutes in it's just like oh that was just like his his storytelling ability is impeccable and even in the comedy world like when he's telling a a joke even when he's being silly like offers like slap me humor a lot of the stuff he tells but when he even does that, you're following a story. Like, you know the story isn't real, but he just has a, a gift. Um, but yeah, I think what makes him resonate is his ability to talk about social issues and talk about things that make... I think that's oftentimes what makes a good comic is that you're able to tackle head-on those things that make people uncomfortable. And you can pull some humor from it, but I, I don't know. I don't even know if that was Dave Chappelle's point. No. Um, to, for, to to be he he really drilled home a lot of the points that he made, and again I loved how I I will always appreciate no one gives an f what Ja Rule thinks as a, like I I always appreciate that joke right. uh, and we love Ja Rule here but <laughs> we <it's> do just, <laughs> yes don't do that sorry sorry 
<laughs> but yeah, like it is is I just I thought I thought it was dope. I thought it was very dope and on time. Gotcha. Yes, definitely on time. Very on time. So yes, I I appreciate it. I thought it I thought it was good. Very short, but I didn't laugh a lot. But it's not a lot to laugh at. True. So you had, you had I, a few chuckles because I, I had some. I had a couple. Right. I did have a couple, but the the typical Dave Chappelle sit down. Like yeah. I'm usually like in tears. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. And it, it is. It is you should like if you're laughing that hard through his special i question you mm-hmm. on a lot of on a lot of levels so right. no it was dope it was dope um shall we discuss uh dabo sweeney gatry <laughs> i don't want He's to but i feel news. like we need to <laughs> so we are going to discuss him right yeah let's talk about him Dabo's been in the news, uh, and 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 reason why I bring him up is because we had such a great episode last week uh, with with our new friend of the show, Mister Johnny. Uh, we I just you know I felt like it was good. We didn't even talk about Drew Brees. Um, so this the, the story of Drew Brees is well over a week old now, and it's like it's like old news. But uh, luckily for us, it's a new week, and it's Dabo up to the plate. And uh, Dabo has come under some serious criticism and in light of what's been going on the past month with people really calling out social, I mean, calling out injustice and really calling out people for their racism um, who've either been silent or vocal in support of black lives. And it came out a um, story about Clem, uh, Clemson, I think it was the tight ends coach, um, yeah. Danny Pierman, I think yes. is his name. Um, used a racial slur in practice. Um, he wasn't directing it at a player. He just repeat. He uh, it was a repeat of what he heard another player say, and nothing became of that. Um, Dabo was also shown wearing a, a, a t-shirt that says "Football Matters," um, and he came under a lot of scrutiny. And he issued like a 14-minute uh, clip of him discussing, you know, what was going on with the shirt. He got the shirt years ago in no way was that you know trying to be insensitive and you know didn't like what what people how people were depicting him and the program and and the whole nine so yet uh you're shaking your head what's your thoughts bro um honestly i I felt a way about the football matter shirt obviously it um whether he got it 20 years ago um the you decide never to be seen with that shirt until now i got questions about that um and there was no there was no little little hint of humanity that entered your psyche before adorning the shirt on your back. Um, got questions about that. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you saw any footage from the uh, the protest yesterday that took place on Clemson's campus. He was there. He was there. Um, Walker, the his his uh, speech or comment seemed rehearsed. Um, I had a feeling of, I had a feeling that the heartbeat of this could have been, let me say something that sounds right so that I can ensure no other prized recruit decommits as he's, as he's had one prize. What did he say? Cause I didn't hear what he said. Um, I just heard he, he marched with them. Just, just a, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase if that's okay. Go ahead. You know, it's the common, I stand in solidarity, you know, um, but Never did I hear Black Lives Matter come come out of this man's mouth. 
you know um he you know he's hey my best friend's black you know he didn't say that i'm paraphrasing but it it was a similar undertone as that as we was, heard was it kind of like years. he feels for his players yeah and, and that whole that yes. whole thing like i feel for my players and i stand with them right how much he loves his players and he loves the program and you know how boys have entered and left as men yada 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 so um, but to much, much like Roger Goodell a week ago, we, we were wanting to hear certain terms and we didn't. And I felt the same with Dabo's speech. So, um, thanks, but no thanks. So you don't accept, you don't accept that, that sentiment from, okay. I don't, I, don't. I, I mean, is he headed in the right direction? Yeah. But you know, you, yeah, you, you know, know, you know think... what you got to say, you know what you got to do. <laughs> What does he have to do? Oh, I mean, you know, he he has to he has to say those three words, you know. <laughs> you know, and you you're gonna you're gonna okay. Here's the thing. Here's the thing with Dabo is I'm glad this happened to Dabo. I'm ha- I'm glad what happened to Drew Brees happened to Drew Brees. Um, because I think most most of our white brothers and sisters they identify with the Dabo Sweeney or Drew Brees before they identify with them. Uh, Michael is it Michael Sykes or Dykes, uh, the Dykes. owner of the restaurant downtown? Dykes. Dykes, yeah. They don't. They don't really. It's easy to disassociate yourself with a person who's overtly racist, mm. right? It's easy to do that because most people don't identify with being a jerk or being an, an overtly just a racist person, right? But you can identify with a Dabo or a Drew Brees because they they basically demonstrate a lot of the core qualities a lot of us can relate to, regardless of skin color. Uh, Dabo is a man of faith. He's about family, right? He's about football or he, he, he cares about his craft. He's a hard worker. So that's something else we value hard work. Right. And like, like Drew Brees, they're involved in the community. They're philanthropic. Like you, you check off all the things that make you a really good person. And Gatcher, it's possible to check off all those things and be completely ignorant as it pertains to race, racial matters in this country. And that's where it leads Dabo. And for me, to your point, he couldn't say Black Lives Matter, but even if he said that, Gatry, I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time accepting that from him because his resume is a little sketchy. His overall resume and performance is sketchy. You know, this is the same guy a few years ago who had a problem when asked in, a, in an interview about his players potentially kneeling during the national anthem. And it was funny to me, Debo had no problem saying how he felt about players kneeling against the national, I mean, kneeling during the national anthem and saying two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah, we got some, you know, everything's not right in the country. Well, what's not right with the country, Debo? Do you even know what's not right with the country? Can you even articulate what's wrong in the country? You know what I mean? Like, I, I hate this, this, this brush up, sweep up under the rug. Yeah, we know it, you know, the, there's some things wrong in our country. What is it that's wrong in the country, Debo? Because that's why there's a lot of protesting going on. That's the issue. That's the point, Debo. You know what I mean? So you can be vocal on this end and you can, you can, you can be vocal about players kneeling from the flag and how you will not accept it. But a coach on your coaching staff says the N word and you sweep it under the rug. I need more than black lives matter from you, Debo at this point. 
Like I, I need to know, and, and this is the thing, you're never going to understand black oppression through the lens of your white experience. Mm. The fundamental mistake in doing that is that you're assuming that all of our experiences are the same. Okay, it's easy for you to focus on football all the time and rock a football matters t-shirt, Debo, because in your in your life, there's nothing interrupting your your lily white happy experience. But you got players whose whose parents' bedroom you you sat in and you told those people you were going to take care of those players. Which means if you're going to have to take care of those players, you need to understand your players and where they're coming from. You need to understand what they have to deal with. You should even be having conversations with your players about what to do if you end up being approached by a police officer. You should you should take the same responsibility as a parent would with trying to protect your kids. But it's all about football with you. It's all about football because you don't have to worry about being pulled over by a cop. You don't have to worry. You you don't you live in a world where that that's not even a concern. So it's easy for you to just stand in solidarity with your players because it don't affect you. That's no sweat off your back. Sure, I'll be there. What time? Yeah, I'll be there. Say a few words. Absolutely. No, Dabo. I'm tired of sentiment. I want substance. I want change behavior. I want you to. I want your words, thoughts, actions, and deeds to line up with something that's going to push for a systemic change as it pertains to black people being policed. And that's what I wanted to see from him. And to me, to me personally, Gat, those three words aren't enough for me because at this point you've done enough up to this point to show that your heart's not in it anyway. So again, you could be a good person. You could be a man who loves God. You could be a man who's about family. You could be a man who's a hard worker, or even philanthropic, but you have a blind spot, Dabo. And until you sit down and allow black people your players to educate you on the real issues you're going to continue to do insensitive stuff like what you're doing you're going to continue to pander and 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 do whatever you can for pr purposes but your heart to me your heart doesn't appear to be in it and you haven't learned at least drew Brees came off as very sorrowful what he did i didn't even get that from you this past week so i don't know but you know he's a good coach. He's going to continue to get those recruits, and he's going to continue to win for Clemson. So mm-hmm. that's the that's what he got paid to do, right? That's Not true. be a, a social justice warrior. You're right. All that secondary <laughs> winning some games. This is America. Yeah. What you got? Um, that's it, man. Um, did you want to talk Church of the Highlands fallout? Oh, uh, we can. Man, we're not doing <laughs> trash anything. <laughs> It's like that some weeks. True. Um, so we are going to discuss it. Yeah, why not? It's it's buzzing in the ham. We might as well talk about it. Gatry, 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 Gatry. Um, so with more information coming out in recent in the recent past week or so about Chris Hodges uh, and his relationship with Charlie Kirk, um, it was mentioned in a, an actual article that uh, they actually have kind of had a relationship uh, so to speak and that charlie kirk was actually uh invited and expected to actually speak to the youth at church of the islands um i think charlie kirk even spoke about spoke out about what was going on and alluded to the fact that him and chris hodges had a relationship um since then Chris Hodges has been, as it pertains to the black community, for a lot of black people in the black community, he's been pretty much canceled. Um, he, his churches, I think the the Birmingham uh, 
Birmingham uh, School Board voted to basically kick him out of their facilities, uh, the Woodlawn and Parker High campuses. And what's the other one? I'm trying to think of the other, other, they ended their relationship with him too. In Birmingham City? Uh, was the Birmingham the Birmingham Housing Authority? Authority yeah, okay. Yeah, they 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 voted to end their agreement with the church as well. Um, thoughts, sir? This doesn't look good for the Coth. Um, that, let me before I say that, let me let me let me admit. Um, while I was not a member of Church of the Highlands, I did attend from time to time and um, was involved in several small groups there. And uh, my wife and I even went to uh, the marriage conference. Uh, I think we went this year. I think we went last year too. Um, so I guess I guess from a surface level, you can say we were we were definitely pleased with the product. Um, it it does it does hit a little different, especially when you do the research and you you really see. And, and I, I don't I don't know Charlie Kirk. I never met him. I can only form my opinion based on things that I've seen of his that he's put out. And um, he, he seems to to heavily be one of these advocates for, you know, the old pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, America is great. Racism doesn't exist. Um, all lives matter. And the list goes on black on black crime. You know, th that those kind of narratives. And so uh, just to, to kind of know that that the leader of this flock, if you will, really sympathizes with those type of sentiments, it you know, makes for an easy decision. I'll share this with you, Walker. Um, we, we, we attended Church of the Highlands um, on the heels of, uh, of the Philando Castile execution. And uh, I remember sitting, listening, waiting for some type of acknowledgement of this tragedy and I, I just I can recall that feeling I got when it was you know not only not discussed but you know it was just like a another another day another Sunday at Church of the Highlands and you know I left scratching my head asking my spouse you know like I wonder why why there was no mention of that I wonder why you know no one thought at least at the very least just you know we're, we're we, our hearts and thoughts and prayers are with the castile family none of that and so um after after witnessing a lot of the developments we've seen here lately with uh chris hodges chris hodges influencers you know it answered every question i had in terms of that and other things so um it's unfortunate walker um do I think it's a relationship that can be repaired? Absolutely. But right now, it just really came at the worst possible time for uh, for the Church of the Highland. So those those are my those are my comments. Um, I'm open to hearing yours. Um, I don't have a lot. Um, we kind of talked about it briefly two episodes ago. Um, <laughs> my biggest prayer get my biggest prayer is that this doesn't this doesn't cause certain people to actually walk away from their faith or from god Ooh, right yeah. because that could easily fall happen. under this does fall under the category of church hurt um and so what i what i pray because you know there's there are a lot of people who experienced church hurt growing up in the traditional black church and many of them have migrated over to a church like Church of the Highlands that's that's far removed from what they've been exposed to pr uh, previously. And so for this to happen, you just kind of, you know, I, I hope it doesn't leave a lot of people questioning 
their faith and question um, their their walk with God. Which, by by the way, I always felt like that is your own personal responsibility, apart from what any other person does, pastor or not. Um, so that's been my prayer: is that this doesn't this doesn't cause people to go d- go down a downward spiral into a dark place. Um, but yeah, like I, I I just think, do I think it can be repaired? With some people, yeah. Um, I've even heard my pastor say that God will forgive me if I fall, but some of y'all won't. And the reality of the matter, Gatry, is that when it comes to people and especially pastors, you have at most one chance with a lot of those people. And if you blow it, that's it. And I just saw a lot of people on social media saying that I'm done. I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going back. I saw a lot of that. And so I think that's just the reality of it. When, when a situation happens, you're going to have people like that. And then it kind of goes back to what I was saying, you know, a few episodes ago when I mentioned understanding why, why you're at the church where you are, like, you know, is this something that God, this is a church that God led you to? Cause I think oftentimes we treat church like a, our neighborhood grocery store. Right. You know, I, I, I go to I go to Trader Joe's uh, for produce. You know, I go to Publix for this. I go to you know what I mean? It's like we, we we pick our churches based on our preferences and our own biases. Right. And so if that's your reason for being there, it's not going to take much for you <laughs> to end up going somewhere else. And so I think it's just important to know where your church home is supposed to be. And and really, and that's not an emotional decision. Usually, in most cases, a lot of people wind up in places where they probably wouldn't have made that decision on their own. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just that's just a sign of, of maturity spiritually when you know where you're supposed to be, even if it's not convenient for you. Um, so yeah, I, I just I just pray that that's people's uh, approach that when it comes to just whether you remain decide to be there or not that you are in and god's will for your life and that you're somewhere where you can grow spiritually that's all i got that's all i got for that well put sir uh shall we move on i think that concludes uh discuss the trash so we'll move on into shout outs where we're shouting out people doing dope stuff and then we'll (sighs) single out those who played themselves within the past week so get Walker. Who's going first? Uh, I'll go first with my uh, with my shout out. Um, I'm gonna start with a young man by the name of Nate Tabor. Tabor I butchered his last name. Have you heard of him, Walker? No. Okay. So um, Nate Tabor, man, I wish I would. I, I feel like I'm mispronouncing his last name, so please forgive me. But Nate Tabor, um, he is a four star uh, small forward, high school basketball player. He is currently ranked the number two player in the state of Connecticut and the number 32 player overall, according to ESPN. Uh, This young man is talented on the basketball court. He has managed offers from uh, (coughs) Auburn, LSU, Texas Tech and UConn, just to name a few. But, you know, Nate said, you know, um, after verb, I think he had verbally committed to uh, to St. John's. Uh, he said, you know what? Um, there's a lot going on right now culturally, and I feel like um, the best decision for me in light of everything that's going on is to commit to Norfolk State. His um, his actions were heavily rooted um, by, by the emotional residue of the George Floyd uh, execution, and um, Nate has been 
been on record and i'm paraphrasing but he's gone on record to say you know this is for me this decision is bigger than basketball and you know i applaud this because i know you and i walker we have we have oftentimes fantasized that you know what it would look like in terms of a hbu hbcu athletic level if a lot of these higher level talents would would you know flock to to these schools versus you know uh, some other pwis um so here's an example of a highly touted recruit doing that bringing us a little closer to that uh to that fantasy i guess you could say that that we've uh we've uh talked about before so uh nate man you are my shout out dude you were going to do great things they say they said you got nba caliber uh they, they said you got nba dna so um hopefully you'll do well at, at norfolk and you'll do even better at the pros so um, i'm shouting you out sir Dope. Dope, dope. Um, my shout out goes to Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. I've heard of those ladies. Yeah. <laughs> I think someone significant in your life happens to be one of those. You know, I think you're right. <laughs> is Sandra an AK? She's not. She's not. Okay. No. She's is she she's Greek? She's not. At least not, not. the okay. last time I was we, just curious. Yeah. Okay. Just curious. Uh well. Uh, Alpha Kappa Alpha uh, announced recently that uh, they will provide scholarships to the daughter and granddaughters of George Floyd to attend an HBCU of their choice. Uh, the family was notified of the gift by AKA International President Dr. Glenda Baskin Glover. So I think that that is dope that they have taken it upon themselves to have these girls set for life. I mean, I think that's a that's a big concern of most parents anyway, like, you know, putting their children through college. What's next for them after high school? And so for them to step in uh, and 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 do this is tremendous. I commend them. Um, I think that is very dope. The only thing I'll say is, you know, don't be mad if they if they grow up and decide they want to be deltas. That's their choice. <laughs> Easy Walker. Easy guy. If they guy. grow up and decide they rather oop. <laughs> Easy Walker. Just remember why you did this, okay? <laughs> Paint it forward. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. It could happen. I'm not saying it will. No pressure. But, you know. But no. Shouts out to Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. I think that's dope what they did for those for their girls. Shout out to the women of the Ivy, indeed. All right, Walker. All right. I, I never like this transition, but we might as well just get on with it because we, we make space in this recording for foolishness. What um, do you mean? Walker, what'd you say? What do you mean? It's just, it just, it, it's just <clears throat> the transition part because it's like, man, you know, yeah. And it's like, oh, we got to talk about this foolishness. But we, we, yeah, anyway, we'll talk about it. Um, Walker, when was the last time you were in Phoenix, bro? It's been a couple of years, actually. Now, okay, all right. Well, let's let's go to Phoenix. Uh, let's go there uh, mentally. Um, Walker, earlier this week, there was a um, an unidentified uh, white female who had gone to a gas station in Phoenix to pump gas. Right? Um, she gets out of her car and camera showed all this, but she gets out of her car. She, you know, opens her gas cap, puts the gas nozzle in, just like we all do, you know, no, nothing different here. 
but um she becomes frustrated not really knowing the reason why you can't really tell from the video but um she she can't get the pump to work walker she can't get it. i never have this problem at costco um so she is irate and she she's can be seen on camera storming in to the gas station right my pump doesn't work and so she comes on there where she's on on camera giving everybody fits um there, there are people in line waiting to purchase things and uh she's not wanting to wait in line she wants to give somebody a piece of her mind because her pump isn't working so enter uh karina rodriguez who is peacefully um paying for her products at the gas station like we civilized human beings do and um this uh this outraged white woman decides that um her concerns are more important than karina's so she then typical typical yeah she then proceeds to go off on the clerk who is trying to check out these people and uh she then proceeds to go off on karina uh so they get into it you know no one still no one knows why this why this woman why this white woman is angry right so she's going off on everybody even the gentleman uh recording this is saying hey you know you you may want to chill out you know white male you may want to chill out you, you know it's not that big of a deal why don't you just wait in line like everybody else is doing no this white woman can't do that so um she she goes she goes on to physically push karina's significant other who's standing right beside her to which the man keeps his cool keeps his hands in his pockets as seen on video um but then she becomes so outraged that she gets in karina's face right and she encourages she she uh, aggressively encourages karina to go back to mexico hmm well karina doesn't like this walker so um as seen on camera <laughs> karina winds up and backhands this woman <laughs> <laughs> and you could you can hear on camera on the, the the white male videoing it i think his name was gabe um he says you know what you deserved every bit of that for the way you acted in here today so uh the clerk demands that she leave because she's caused enough havoc um what what's what's great about this walker is with um with the surveillance technology at this gas station they were able to zero in on this woman's license plate and uh, identify her because, you know, I, I guess gas stations have that right in certain situations. And she has been banned from every location that this gas station has through the entire state of Arizona. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> Let this be a lesson to you if you're out there and you want to come at Karina or anybody when, you know, obviously you, you Karina's done nothing to you. You know, your issues with the pump. And um, anyway, uh, we're, we're in a heightened society of, uh, of racial tension. Um, so choose your words a little carefully because, um, you know, people are out here, as, as, as people like to say. And you just never know what's going to happen if you decide to come at somebody left. So, um an unidentified white woman from Phoenix, Arizona, driving a Lexus SC3000. You are my player of the week. <laughs> Sidebar, have you ever realized how cringeworthy it is to hear you use slang? <laughs> it, 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 I mean, it makes me feel weird. Well, it's because it is weird. That's that's why you feel that way. Um, just, just a side note, I just okay. didn't know, I didn't, you know. I feel it. I just didn't know if you felt it. Yeah, I do. Um, my player of the week goes out to one Terry Crews. Are you familiar with him? Yes. How did he escape my viewpoint? 
Oh, he won't get back past Walker. I'll tell you that much. Go He's in, not gonna get past man. the kid. Go in. Not the, not the boy. Not the boy, right? All right. So Terry Crews is just on Twitter, just going ham. Twit tweeting left and right. Then comes this tweet. Defeating white supremacy without white people creates black supremacy. Equality is the truth. Then the next statement he says is, like it or not, we are all in this together. Now, this drew, I, I don't know how many pints of blood Terry Crews lost on this day from people just going at his throat, okay? Somebody posted a hilarious photo. It's like, what kind of times we're in? What kind of twilight zone we're in that Mitt Romney is marching for Black Lives Matter and then Terry Crews is doing this? Like, like you know, Black Twitter does just, they were waiting. <laughs> they were waiting. Okay. Now, now, somebody that we know, comedian Godfrey, responded, I love you, brother Terry, but I disagree with you 100%. No such thing as black supr supremacy. That is a tactic that racist whites use to counteract our rebellion to their horrific treatment of us. It's called gaslighting. Black pride isn't anti-white. Now, Terry Crews responds to this tweet and says, oh, I agree. I'm not discussing white people here. There are gatekeepers of blackness within our own community who decides who's black and who's not. I have often been called out for not being black enough. How can that be? Now, the reason why I read those tweets was for a specific kind of reason here. Is that I understood Terry Crews a lot more after this day. Okay. I understood that Terry Crews has an issue in which we talked about this in the past about our blackness being questioned. Okay. Well, Terry Crews, your blackness is being questioned because of dumb tweets like what you just tweeted. There is no such thing as black supremacy, okay? Now you got black people who really will exalt themselves over whites, but that's less of 1% of people. Most black people have been taught to self-hate themselves, okay? So we're have to actually having to overcome that in how we treat one another. Um, but what I'm seeing here is you ever notice how a person will project their own personal issues into a conversation that really doesn't have anything to do with them? This is Terry Crews here. He's projecting whatever pain he's experiencing from black people who've gone at his throat because of foolish things he has personally done. He's projecting that into this conversation. Because when you talk about black supremacy, you're talking about black people picking on you. What does this have to do with George Floyd? What does this have to do with Breonna Taylor? What does this have to do with Ahmaud Arbery? So if you can't stay on subject and stay on message, then sit this one out, Terry, it's okay. You don't have to speak. You don't have to speak. All this time, we've been trying to get our white brothers and sisters to speak. You can sit this one out, Terry, if you don't have anything good to say. You can sit this one out, okay? It's all right. It really is okay if you sit this one out. Also, too, the reason why we got to point this out is for the very reason that Godfrey tweeted in the first place. People are going to use that argument as, a, as, as an opportunity for them not to change, which basically reinforces the status quo oh, in a lot of ways. So dangerous. And you got to remember, here's why that's so dangerous. Here's why what Terry Crews did is so dangerous. 
is because if you, in case you've forgotten, it's under the status quo that George Floyd even died in the first place. It's under this status quo that all these black people who were on their way to living good lives or normal lives are not even here. And for what? So you cannot undermine a movement because you are tripping on the inside of personal issues you have. So Terry Crews, just sit this one out. It's okay. It's okay. The coach is calling you to the bench and he wants you to sit on the end of the bench. In fact, take your take your take your jersey off. Just take your jersey off. As a matter of fact, go shower off. Don't even sit on the bench. Just go shower off and we'll meet you in the back of the locker room once the game is over. Terry Crews, you played yourself. That's all I got. Uh, I don't even yeah. No words? No words. None. No words. And his resume is pretty sucky too. I mean, he's he's been out here doing a lot of ridiculous stuff anyway. So, is he he was bound to make our player of the week eventually? Hmm. You got something on your mind, Gat? You look I, like you're thinking. I just I just don't know what what moves people to 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 say things like that. And project. My, hmm? He's projecting. He's projecting his hurt. That's all that is. You don't think you don't think the bag influences that? What bag? Maybe, maybe. But then again, you can be silent and still get your bag. That's true. I just think he's projecting because again, his response to Godfrey told me he gave me a lot of insight into what's going on with Terry Crews. Gave me a lot. Gave us a lot of insight. Mm, okay. I, so. I mean that. Yeah. <laughs> Gave me a lot of insight about him. So, and I just think that rhetoric is just dangerous. It's dangerous because we're at a time where a lot of white people are starting to get it. Yeah. And the last thing we need is conflicting messages by you talking about if we don't do this without whites, it's black supremacy. No, it's not. No. <laughs> it's called the last 400 years in this country. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Which is white supremacy. Right. We were, we're trying to get white people to understand what we go through and speak out. In case you haven't noticed it, see that that was just him projecting whatever's going on in his his little head. That's I got all. You. I got you. That's all. Anyway, um, you got anything else, bro? No, that's all I got. Well, I guess that means it's time for Walker's word of the week. Which my word for the week get is sincerity. You know, for so long, we have been begging our white brothers and sisters to just say Black Lives Matter. Just say it. And while there are a lot who still struggle with saying it, and that 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 all lives kind of creeps in there as they're saying, trying to say Black Lives Matter, there are some who are saying it. And in fact, you have a lot of businesses that are saying it, right? Um... I just hope that there's some sincerity behind behind the, the notion Black Lives Matter. I don't want Black Lives Matter to be a marketing ploy for a lot of these businesses. And here's why I don't want to do it because we, again, we're seeing people who are catching backlash for either not saying Black Lives Matter or saying something contrary or, or something that distracts from Black Lives Matter, right? So businesses are catching on to this and you know they want to they want to keep business going. They want to make sure from a PR branding standpoint that they're in good standing. So it's easy to see a lot of corporations ride a certain wave, so to speak. 
I just want there to be some sincerity. Now, you have corporations and institutions like Bank of America. Bank of America has pledged millions to donate to causes that promote black lives and promote Black Lives Matter. If you're going to say Black Lives Matter, be real about it. Are you putting a, are you donating to the cause? Do you really believe in this cause? Because as the Bible says, where your treasure is, there's where your heart will be. So if you're putting up money behind this movement, it's because to some degree you really do believe in black lives. It's not just sentiment. Again, as I mentioned earlier, I am for substance over sentiment any day of the week. I'm beyond saying black lives matter. I want to see what you're doing to contribute to black lives mattering in our country. What do you, how do you feel about black leadership? Do you have black people uh, in high levels of, of your management and your company? How do you feel about us leading your company? You know what I mean? So I want to see some action. I want to see some sent. I don't want to see sentiment. I want substance at this point. So let's remember that. And most importantly, let's remember to live responsibly. That's all I got, Gat. Uh, shall the congregation stand? May the Lord watch between thee and thee while the, we're absent one from another. The doors of the Tipping Point Pod are open. Go in peace. Have a productive, wonderful week. And thanks again for listening. This is the Tipping Point Podcast.